Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen. Thank you, Chantel. You may have a seat. Before I really preach on this message, my wife is going to come up here. I thought she was going to come up here. Um, we're just going to have a moment where uh, she's just going to hold this offering basket. Uh, you can step back so people can come in front of you. We're just going to invite, just form a line. You guys can come donate, put your money in here. And I just kind of want to see what everybody gives before we preach on this, just to kind of gauge where everybody's hard is that? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's it. That's all you had to do. See? That's literally happened in churches. That's how, you know, pastor kind of stands. Some of you have, some of you have to, I mean, told me that's been your experience, right? Pastor comes and goes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I, I like that. I like that. Uh, and kind of gauges how well you're doing. Uh, and so as we begin this series, God and Money, some of you guys have this feeling like, oh, no, what are we going to get into? This is going to be self-serving. This is going to be about the church getting money. This is going to be about them taking some special offering at the end of this series. And it's not. So let me just put you at, at ease. It's, it's not. That's not the, the goal of this. It's more holistic than that. I know we all have our triggers. I know we all have our uh, pasts. Uh, call it trauma, with this topic of money. Some of you were at churches where they kept track of what you gave and they would call you, hey, we didn't see your offering in that Christian, uh, Christmas campaign. Where was it? Maybe you grew up in a house that was poor. And so you are very protective of your money now and you're very hypervigilant to anything that sounds like a sales pitch, especially if it's coming from someone in a church setting. Maybe you grew up in a, a home that was very affluent and your parents tried to buy your love with money, giving you extravagant gifts to make up for a lack of time with you. And so you're a little hypervigilant to the idea uh, of needing to, uh, you know, acquire wealth and, and invest. And you're kind of like, keep that at arm's length. So we all have stories with our money. In a couple of weeks, I'll share more of mine um, but I know that as a, as a pastor, talking about this topic is tough, and I've only probably done a handful, maybe even less, of sermons that were specifically about money in the 10 years that we've been a church. Uh, because I know in people's minds that it, there's this assumption that, oh, he's doing this so that the church can get more money. I've even had a couple people have the idea, they've expressed this mindset or this, 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 this myth that I take the offering home at the end of the day and go to like to my wife and get, look what we got this week. Like that's the mindset that's something like, that's so far from how things operate here. Um, so I've been a little hesitant, but over the course of this last year, God has put a number of things in my path to kind of say, hey, we as a church community just need to put a little extra focus on this, a little, a little highlight on this. I've talked to young people who have expressed uh, that they did not have any training or discipleship when it came to their money and their wealth and their lack of wealth. Uh, I've had old folks 
Older folks, I should say, express regret over decisions they made in their younger years. And, oh, I wish I didn't make that. I wouldn't be in the boat I'm in now. We've had all of us stressed out or worried or anxious about money with the way that the economy has been over the last year or so. About six months ago, I walked in on my kids. They were off from school one day. I don't remember why. And they were... um, I don't know what they were exactly doing, but they were, all had their piggy banks like wallets out, and they were counting their money at the kitchen table, kind of like, like a competition. I was like, what? One of them, I won't say which one it was, kind of like this, had a Dunkin' Donuts gift card that was like five bucks, and they're like, this is stupid. It was only $5 on there. I was like, only five, I'll take that then. So I took it. And they're like, no, 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 give it back. I said, no, you said it was stupid. I went to Dunkin' Donuts to try to get my wife a coffee, and there was nothing on it. (laughs) So we all lost. But after that, I thought, all right, all right, as a family, we need to make sure that our kids are understanding that this money is not their money. It's God's money. And so there's been a number of things that go, okay, we need to talk about this. We need to lean into this. Uh, Probably the most important thing, factor of all, is that Jesus talked so much about money. He talked so much in Scripture about Money. And so we're going to dive into it. Um, My my hope is that over the course of this time, that we can see how we manage our money reflects what we really believe about God. That we could get this in our, oh, okay. What we do with our money reflects what we really believe about God. How we manage our money reflects where our joy is rooted. Is it rooted in the things of this world? What are we trying to get from our money? Is it rooted in temporary pleasures? Is it rooted in temporary security? Or is it rooted in God's kingdom? How we manage our money reflects where we find our identity. Are we trying to buy status for ourselves with our money? Or is identity rooted in God's kingdom, what God has done, what God has accomplished for us? My dad used to say, or still says, um, but I heard it a lot, he, took, he got it from somebody when he was a, a young Christian. If you want to see where somebody's priorities are, show me their checkbook. And for those of you who don't know what a checkbook is, show me their Venmo account. Show me their credit card statement. Where our money goes is a reflection of where our heart is, our treasure is. So we're going to do a three-week series on this, but not just a three-week series on this. The whole year, we're going to kind of put an extra focus on this. Not every week. I'm not going to talk about this constantly, but we're going to just going to make sure we're, we're, we're keeping this at the forefront of our minds so that we can go to God and go, God, I want to see my money the way you see my money. We want to understand the difference between spirit-led financial spontaneity and self-centered financial impulsiveness. Right? Nothing wrong with buying something or spending your money on something at the last minute. But we want to make sure it's led by the Spirit of God for His purposes and not done out of selfish impulsiveness. Oh, I need this right now to feel better about myself because I'm anxious about that. So buying something new numbs my anxiety. We want to understand the difference between faithful financial planning and fearful financial hoarding. Planning for the future so that I can be faithful to God's kingdom, serving him, versus, oh no, I better save up because I'm fearful about what's coming down the pike. We want to understand the difference between investing for God's glory and investing for our own glory. Not building our own status, but God's status. And then we want to understand the difference between giving out of a joy in God versus giving out of a need for human applause. It's possible 
to give so that people can pat us on the back and we can get our own glory. So these are some of the things that we want to do over the next year. A three-week sermon series is not going to accomplish it, um, but we're going to kind of do a few other things. At the end of May, we're starting a, a class called Financial Peace. Some of you have heard of it. Some of you have perhaps done it. Uh, this is going to be a four-week class. Pastor Jason Cardoso from Alive Again Alliance Church, he's taught this before. He's certified in this. He's going to be coming to do this four Saturdays in a row. This is an uh, eight- to ten-week class condensed into four. So if you're thinking, wait a second, I can't sign up for four Saturdays in a row. Listen, this is the smallest we could make it without losing the content. It's a $79 cost for materials. It was $130. But because of Jason's certification, we were able to get it dropped down to $79. So that's a bonus. And on top of that, Anybody who goes to all four of those, is, the church will reimburse you half of it. So it drops it down to 40 bucks. And that's just out of the church's bank just to invest in your financial future. Now, we're not doing it ahead of time. You've got to go to all four. If you're like, well, I'm going to be on vacation for one of them. All right, go to three. You're just not going to get reimbursed for half of it. But that's okay. You can do it if you can afford a vacation, right? But <laughs> then you can afford... Um, and if you're thinking, hey, Memorial Day's right in the middle there, we know that. We're trying to avoid Mother's Day and Father's Day weekend. We're trying to avoid graduation season. We're trying to avoid summer. So it's the best we can do. Um, but lean into it. We're probably going to do something else in the fall. Bob, David, and I have talked about that. Uh, maybe a few other things here and there. But the, again, the, the, the purpose of this is to see our money the way God sees our money. That's the ultimate hope. That's the ultimate hope. Now, before we get into practicals, of like, hey, should I have, you know, two to four months of living expenses or three to six months of living expenses before I take riskier investments? Before we get into any of that, <laughs> we want to back up and go, all right, which kingdom is my money actually working for? Like, if I had to check my heart, which kingdom is my money working for? People talk about make your money work for you, put your money to work. Which kingdom is it at work for? Because it's possible. Listen, listen, listen. It's possible for you to give 20% of your income to the church or to mission organizations and then take the other 80% and be really foolish, selfish with it, trying to build your own kingdom and get your own glory. It's possible. So we want to just ask this question, God, whose kingdom is this about? Whose kingdom is my money devoted to? Whose kingdom am I trying to uh, serve with my money? The way I see it, you can spend your money, you can save your money, you can invest your money, you can give your money. These are four different categories. None of them are wrong. We're going to do all of them. We should do all of them. None of them in and themselves make us right. It's why are we doing those things? I just want us to kind of take this first week, and over the course of this next week, as you go grocery shopping, as you buy something, as you, you know, invest in stocks or whatever you do with your money, to pause and go... Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. How do I see my money? Which kingdom is it working for? As I said earlier, Jesus talked a lot about money. He warned about money. Some of the things he said. He said, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is difficult. So this, this, this series isn't for poor people to figure out how to manage their money so that they can be secure. This is also for those of you who are rich who feel secure. 
but might be putting your hope in your wealth as rich people tend to do. That's what Jesus is saying. Rich people tend to put their hope in their money, their identity in their wealth. And he's like, oh, it's so hard for them to actually bow their knee to me. It's so hard for them to actually bow their knee to me. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the, the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. The love of money is a root of all other kinds of evil because what we do with our money is often buying for ourselves temporary pleasures, temporary identities, temporary status, And it causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus and drift away. James said this, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. What? Now, James is not condemning Wealth. He's not saying you should feel guilty for having a lot of money. By the world standards, we all are rich. Even if you're on food stamps in here, by the world standards, we are doing okay. And so James is saying, be careful those of you who have put your hope in your riches. They will crumble. They're going to crumble. And some of you have experienced that. Hurricane Sandy wipes out wealth. Stock markets crash. I'm going to share in two weeks... Kind of my story a little bit, testimony. But <laughs> I, I thought I was going to be a real estate guru back in 2005 and 6 and 7. And then I got greedy. And then the bubble burst. And oh, man, I learned some hard lessons. It's fragile. He's saying don't put your hope in it. it don't put your hope in it. I, I came across an article by a guy named John Bloom. I want to read a, an excerpt of it for you to you, with you. Uh, Check it out. He said this, not to diminish the dangers of sexual sin, but have you ever noticed that the New Testament issues more dire warnings against the spiritual dangers of material prosperity than sexual immorality? Jesus didn't say it's harder for a sexually immoral person to get into heaven than a camel to squeeze through a needle's eye. He said it about rich people. And most people who read this live in one of the richest nations in the history of the world. Prosperity is at least as spiritually dangerous as pornography. Do we tremble? Why is it that prosperous Christians aren't forming accountability groups like crazy to help us keep our lives free from the love of money? Ain't that interesting? Why aren't we forming accountability? Why aren't we saying, you know what? I've got so much wealth. I want to make sure I'm not slipping into materialism and consumerism and putting my hope in my, my wealth. I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm living with open hands and making sure that I'm treating it like God's money. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. Now, in case you think that the solution is to just give your money away, look at the warnings it issues about this. In Matthew 6, 2, Jesus said, When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What is Jesus saying? He's saying it's possible to be generous on the outside, but really try to build your own kingdom. Really be doing it for the sake of your own glory. To get pats on the back so people go, wow, wow, so-and-so, I can't believe they're so generous. In 1 Corinthians 13.3, this one really gets me. 
The apostle Paul said, if I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If you give all you possess to the poor, and it's not motivated by true love, it's motivated by a desire to get glory for yourself and big, build your own kingdom, God's like, did nothing for my kingdom eternally, gained nothing. That's sobering, is it not? So that's why we want to ask the question, which kingdom is my money working for? Which kingdom do I want my money to be about? Whose glory is it for? When I save, when I spend, when I give, when I invest, all of those are good things, but they must be done, they should be done, they can be done for the glory of God. To express our joy in God and not to buy our joy on this earth. Another way to put it, while money can't buy us happiness, it does reflect which kingdom our happiness is rooted in. We know money can't buy us happiness is a cliche, but it does express where our joy is rooted in. Is it rooted in keeping up with the Joneses or the brothers-in-laws and sisters-in-laws? Is it rooted in having uh, a retirement plan all, 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 you know, lined up for us? Or is it rooted in God's kingdom? Is it rooted in identity in Christ? This is why Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both. I can't be married to Jess and married to someone else. She will not have it. God will not have it. You can't belong to God, find your identity in him, find your meaning in him, find your fulfillment in him, and then make all your decisions around what's going to protect your money. Can't do both. Can't do both. We either look to money to tell us who we are, or we look to God to tell us who we are. Here's a little picture, if you will. God, big. Me, I serve God. My money, under me, used to serve God and worship God. Or, my money is big, I serve my money, and then I try to use God to protect my money and build my money. It's one or the other. And I wouldn't say it's one or the other, like, category, like blank, in, in like your, your whole life, it's one or the other in moments. Like what causes us to slip into this? You might be 90% of the time this, I'm serving God with my money, and then something gets triggered and you slip into this. What is it? That's what I want us to spend this next week praying about, this first week. As you spend, what causes you to? Is it when you go to your neighbor's house and go, man, I wish I had this house? Maybe I could buy this or that or renovate this or that so I could keep up with. What is it? What causes covetousness to come out, materialism to come out? What gets triggered? Notice it in your heart. Not just is my money my God, but when is my money my God? Ultimately, the reason money becomes a trap is because of what is beyond the money, what we look to money to get us. We may not want to have money for the sake of having money. We may not want to be rich for the sake of being rich. But maybe it's to have something that gives us a sense of status. A boat, a new truck, a new whatever. 
Maybe it's so that we can be generous for the purpose of getting pats on the back. Maybe somebody makes a lot of money, and they should, for the sake of their family, retire. They're at that age, but they like to take people out for expensive dinners. They like people to say, wow, you're so generous. That's their identity, and so they can't make the decision that God's leading them to make to to retire because they want to have that identity of being known as the person who can throw their money around and bless other people. We need to check our hearts. Money can't buy us happiness, but it does reflect which kingdom our happiness is rooted in. That's the question. That's the, that, I mean, that's the point to walk out of here with and then to ask ourselves, which kingdom is my money working for? I want to return, I want to end with the passage that we started with, that Chantel read from. This is Paul writing to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church of Ephesus at this point. And he says, command those who are rich. So Timothy, as the pastor of this church community, command those who are rich to, in, in this present world, not to be arrogant, not to, not to boast in their wealth, not to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, it's going to fade, it's going to crumble, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So God gives us what we need For joy. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to be content. And whatever he gives us, it's so that we can be content. He blesses some with lots of wealth, and he gives them the ability to be content with that wealth. He gives others poverty and gives them the ability. Some of you guys have been to third world countries. I've been to Uganda. Some of you guys have been to Haiti. What do we see there? We're amazed at their contentment, aren't we not? Wow, how can they be so content with so little? Because God gives us And provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's a good God. And so Paul's telling Timothy, make sure the rich people are putting their hope in God who does that, not their riches. And then he says, command them instead to do good. To be rich. Be rich in what? In good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves. This is what I want us to get. As a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What are you saying? Invest. Be a wise investor. Be a wise investor with your money. Invest in the coming age. Invest in the coming kingdom. Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish a kingdom on earth. It's going to last forever and ever and ever. And we're going to want to be on that new earth, in those new resurrected bodies, and be glad for how we spent our money in the 80 or 90 years that we have on this earth right now. We want to, for all eternity, go, oh, I'm so glad I invested in this age. Not five years on the golf course before I died after retirement, right? I'm glad I invested in this age, this time. Invest in true happiness with your money. God wants us to have joy. He wants us to be happy. And he's saying, this is the way. Invest in the coming age, the coming kingdom. Everything we do with our money, therefore, can be done with our eyes on this coming age. So let's get a little practical. When we save, are we grasping for control out of fear, or are we trying to be faithful to the one who is in control? We should save. Save up. Save up. We have savings accounts, different ones for different things. What's the purpose of that? Well, what if one, you know, Jess loses her job in five years? Let's say, well, we have a savings account. We don't have to freak out. Our life doesn't have to revolve around, oh, no, what are we going to do about this? And what are we going to do about this? Okay, we're, we're okay. We have a savings account. 
It's okay. We want to be faithful. We want to continue to be generous in that season if that happens. One of the purposes of a savings account. But not out of fear. Oh no, what if she loses our job? She might. We all might. Things happen. That's the purpose for it. But we don't want to do it out of fear. We don't want to look at the stock market. We don't look at the economy. We don't look at the real estate and go, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. When we invest, are we trying to build our status on earth or advance God's kingdom? It, make, make wise investments. Make more money, right? We should. We should be a church community that's wise about this. And we'll probably have practical things over the next year for that. Like think, thinking through, okay, I don't want to just, uh, I, I want to think long-term for my money. I want to make it work. But I want to make it work for God's kingdom. Invest in a job, perhaps, that will do good. You know, a lot of missionaries going to parts of the world where there's no access to the gospel, they can't go as missionaries, they can't go as pastors and church planners. They go as business owners, and they start businesses, and then they build relationships that way. So somebody's got to invest in those businesses. We need investors. We need wise investors. We need smart investors. When we give, are we trying to make ourselves feel important? Or is it out of an overflow of God's generosity towards us? If we give because we're needy for attention and applause, then there's something off in our souls. But when we give because God has been so generous towards us in giving us his only son to die and rise again for us, and how we can't, just, we can't help but just share the money that he's already given us. It's God's money. I'm just going to pass it along. When we remember... But it's for the coming age that the future kingdom is what we belong to, not this current age that is passing away. Then we're going to be less likely to try to buy people's attention and applause with our generosity. And then lastly, when we spend, are we trying to buy ourselves fulfillment or are we celebrating Jesus as our true treasure? Nothing wrong with spending money. Unless it's done from a place of neediness. I need to go shopping because I'm anxious about my work meetings and this calms me down. And how's that drink, uh, different than drinking for the wrong reasons? Or popping pills for the wrong reasons? But if we spend, and again, nothing wrong with spending, we spend because it's going to, hey, we're going to have this fancy dinner as a celebration of what God's done this past week or our, Easter celebration dinner, we're going to spend lavishly because of who God is and what Jesus has done in our lives. Is it out of this overflow of joy in order to celebrate, or is it out of neediness? I need to have this because I, I, oh, it'll make me feel better about me. Because that's a hard issue that we need Jesus to take care of. So these are just some things to be considering this first week into this series. I'm going to ask us to stand. What we're going to do now, I'm going to call the band up. We are going to sing a little bit. And here's, <clears throat> I want to say something about singing for a moment. Jeff, you can keep it on my slides though. Um, singing is a response time. It's part of our response time. Uh, we hear God's word and we respond to it. It's sort of an extension of the message. I'm going to respond to his word. I'm going to fix my eyes on God's love. I'm going to fix my eyes on God's kingdom. I'm going to, with my mouth, give God glory right now. 
and take my eyes off of my own stresses, my own distractions, my own worries. And especially with this topic, if, if the key to financial peace is contentment, the key to contentment is to remember this world is not our home. We belong to God's kingdom. And so as we sing, I just hope and pray that God's spirit will remind you of that. My message ain't going to do it. God's spirit will do it. Remind you. Hey, 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 this world's not your home. Stop trying to make it your home. Stop trying to make it your home. I want to read one more scripture over us. This is from Hebrews 11. Um, this is not about money directly. I came across it while I was kind of just doing my own devotion time this past week. Um, but I, I think it's fitting. So I'm going to read it and pray for us. The, the, the writer of Hebrews is, in chapter 11, he's, he's talking about men and women of faith who have exercised great faith in God by giving up the comforts of this world, the pleasures of this world. Some of them God did mighty miracles through, and some of them suffered greatly because of their faith. But all of them had one thing in common, and he says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This world is not our home. Faith is remembering, I got something better coming. I don't have to be um, perfectly fulfilled with every temporary longing that I feel in this life. I don't have to buy everything that I want. I don't have to have my future secure 100% because it's not. I don't have to have people notice every time I give. This is not my home. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger here. God's got a better country waiting for me. He's got a better home. If we can remember this, I think it's a secret to contentment. And thus, secret to having peace with our finances. If our joy is rooted there, then everything we do with our money is an expression of our joy in God and not in order to buy our happiness. So God, help us. Jesus, help us. You've paid the biggest of prices to redeem us, to ransom us. To take us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so for those of us who've trusted in you, who, who belong to your family, who are in your kingdom, that means everything we own, everything in our lives is for your kingdom. Everything we do. Including and especially our money. So Jesus, this week, help us to be aware of those moments when we slip into trying to serve our money instead of serve you with our money. Help us to be quick to notice it, confess it, identify it, and then you walk us out of that because you're so faithful to shepherd us. 
Jesus, we don't want to be savvy with our money in selfish ways. We want to be wise stewards, remembering it's yours. It's all yours. And God, even right now, I pray that you would identify in our hearts maybe some patterns, maybe some some things that we need to address. And finally, Lord, I pray that as we sing, as we sing to you, that your spirit would move in our heart and take these, these truths from your word into our heads, down to our souls. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So let's sing together.